Hello and welcome to the SoundNose podcast. I'm Barry Collins. SoundNose takes billions of measurements of internet performance every day, and all that's made possible by a small but powerful piece of software called the Agent. The Agent is a software that powered SoundNose white boxes and is now more commonly found inside broadband routers. It's been developed over the course of 15 years, and in the first of this series of articles looking at the story of SoundNose, we're talking to the company's founder, Sam Crawford, about how the agent was first developed, how it's evolved over time, and how it delivers insights to Sam Knows clients that no other company can. I started by asking Sam what the state of broadband testing was like when the company was first formed back in 2008. That's going back away. So in 2008, um, uh, broadband rollout in the UK. So I or I slash we were very much UK centric um, at that point. That's not the case anymore. But at that time, still very, very UK centric. And the state of broadband in the UK as it was uh, available in, I think, more than 90 or heading towards 95% of homes. So, so rollout was almost uh, was nearing ubiquitous at that point. Um, and uh, some interesting things were happening uh, in the industry. So if I remember rightly, we were moving uh, well towards um, ADSL 2 plus at that point, towards 24 megabit um, broadband. Uh, and we started seeing operators, so ISPs, um, uh, competing a lot more and and uh, lowering their prices. Uh, one of the operators, um, in fact, uh, in, I think it was 2008, um, called Talk Talk. They launched a free broadband product, which um, uh, basically meant you got a free broadband connection when you bought the, the phone line, and that was very revolutionary at the time. In fact, I don't think anyone does that anymore. But there wasn't really, uh, certainly the advertising, I don't think, uh, was particularly fantastic. Uh, so you, uh, I remember driving somewhere at some point and seeing a, a billboard on the side of the road, side of the motorway, advertising uh, free broadband or very, very low-cost broadband from some provider. And there was no, uh, there was no caveats, uh, even in the fine print, about the, uh, the kind of speeds you should expect during peak hours or, or anything like this. And nowadays, that I don't think, um, I think you just kind of take it for granted. You're going to generally get um, pretty good speeds all the time if you're on a, uh, a good ISP in a well-provisioned area and so on. Mm-hmm. But at that time, you definitely couldn't take that for granted. There was lots of capacity problems all the time. Um, and in particular, this is going back to the days of when BitTorrent was a really big thing. Nowadays, we don't even think about BitTorrent anymore, <laughs> I think. Um, but uh, this is before the days of, of Netflix basically dominating and others dominating, um, I guess, data transfer uh, or bandwidth of all of these um, of all of these operators. So BitTorrent was still a very big thing. And tra- Traffic shaping was still a very, very big thing amongst the uh, the operators. So they'd all have these big uh, DPI, deep packet inspection um, machines inside their network, uh, which would look at the uh, look at the f- traffic passing through the network and and rate limit them effectively. Uh, and that's because they ultimately you know, didn't have enough capacity to handle everything. So I thought. Wouldn't it be uh, great if there was some way of shining a light on this, um, on the actual performance that users could expect to receive? Because there really was big differences between the providers themselves, simply due to their traffic shaping policies. Um, and but there was there was nothing there was nothing out there. So I, I figured there was basically two things a little wrong with the um, 
uh, with the industry or with, with what was out there so far. So number one, everything was um, very focused on, on, on speed alone. It was all about just running speed tests. Yeah. There, was, there wasn't really any uh, consideration of latency or packet loss or even you know, variation by time of day or looking at different protocols. No one was measuring anything like BitTorrent or web page loading times or, or anything else. And there were still problems uh, you know, with, with, with DNS response times from ISPs, DNS servers all over the place. Um, uh, so just running pure speed tests alone, I didn't think was, was enough. Um, and secondly, if if we were going to do something, whatever we did um, would probably show some or all of the operators in a in a bad light, at least on some metrics. Right? Not everyone's going to be perfect on everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so we wanted to make sure that whatever we did would be really, really defensible. Um, and this was really the uh, the foundation for for everything that that came next. Um, so going back to your question, it's not so much that um, the the speed test at that time um, were particularly flawed the actual the actual speed tests themselves were perfectly uh, perfectly reasonable i'm sure but it was the fact that they were a quite limited i.e it was only speed tests and b the methodology around so the plumbing around the tests um i thought was the the limiting factor from them being used for something more serious which could draw criticism from um from from some parts of the industry with all of this, it really depends on the use case of what you're trying to do. Our use case was one where we wanted to be quite quite granular and quite specific and say, for example, you know, uh, BitTorrent performance on BT retail at 8 p.m. in London was X, um, or latency on Virgin Media at 10 p.m. in Manchester was Y. Um, so we wanted to be quite specific about that, literally naming operators and packages and uh, regions and so on, and have it be fairly comparable amongst them, uh, amongst all of them. Ultimately, with a view that this might, you know, we'd be we'd be publishing this, we want to stand behind it. Um, uh, we weren't thinking at that point about regulators or anyone using the data. Um, okay. At this point, I had never even spoken to Ofcom <laughs> or any other regulator ever. Um, uh, so, but still, the uh, I mean, my, my background is in computer science, so you want to make sure it's uh, what you do is is robust. How did the methodology you devised differ from what other speed tests were doing at the time? It wasn't so much the speed tests themselves; it was the, the all of the methodology and the plumbing around that. There was two kinds of uh, camps of thought. At the time, actually, let's say let's say let's say three camps of thought. Um, so, uh, very very top level, there is passive measurements and there are active measurements. So, in the in the passive measurement space, uh, that is where you are analysing uh, traffic which real users are generating, and you are inferring some performance characteristics from that traffic analysis. So, this is the kind of thing that a deep packet inspection, a DPI box, will do. Um, it will look across. Uh, users and say, oh, Barry is using uh, three megabits per second right now, and uh, we can see that he's he's connecting to servers with Netflix in Netflix's IP range. So we'll say it's three megabits per second of Netflix traffic. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you kind of squint a little bit and you do some TCP um, stream analysis, you can uh, you can draw inference about latency, you can draw inference about bandwidth, and you can certainly, obviously, conclude how much um, how much users are um, 
are consuming. Uh, there's there's real pros and cons to passive analysis. The pro is that you you don't need to be inside users' homes to do this. You don't need um, you don't need the user to do anything. You can do all of this on centralized kit inside the ISP's network. So if you're an ISP, passive analysis. Um, is uh, you probably already have some passive analysis, some DPI kit in your network for things like uh, law enforcement, uh, data uh, data usage metering, perhaps. So uh, this can initially appear quite appealing. Of course, from a measurement point of view, there's some there's some big pros and cons. So pro, uh, it can be easy to deploy for for operators. Um, it can scale fairly well, although you know, at the kind of levels these these guys are talking about, uh, it really struggles. Yeah, I guess the other pro is it doesn't require lots of interaction from from users. Mm-hmm. The cons, though, are well, one, you only get measurements when users are actually using their broadband connection. So, if you're asleep between, say, 10 p.m. and 7 a.m. or something, then there's no no DPI analysis is going to be performed on your usage. So, there's going to be no statistics about how anything performs at that time. Uh, two, obviously, it's like a privacy minefield, basically analyzing users' traffic. Uh, I'm sure the ISPs are able to do this. It'll be all covered in their T's and C's and so on. But certainly, we definitely don't want to be anywhere near that kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. It's just it's just a minefield. Um, and I guess uh, the other con is there's there's going to be factors way outside of your control. So if you are, um, let's say you're downloading a very large file from the internet, then a, a DPI box might uh, look at the, the TCP stream or the quick stream and infer the maximum throughput uh, you receive during that stream and say, oh, this is this is Barry's um, download speed at this time. But of course, the end-to-end stream's performance is going to be impacted by both ends of the connection and everything in between, right? So you're not really just assessing the ISP there. You're including factors like your in-home Wi-Fi, whatever machine you're using, you know, laptop, phone, whatever, um, and also where you're downloading from. So if you're downloading onto your laptop, at the end of your garden, over a Wi-Fi link, over your ISP's network in the UK, uh, from a server in China, then and you're obviously going to get a terrible download, or you're most likely going to get a terrible download speed. And obviously, it would be completely unfair to attribute that performance to your ISP. So what about active measurements, Sam? Active is where um, something inside the home, uh, either a bit of software or a bit of hardware, generates its own traffic and then measures some characteristic in in response to that uh, to that traffic. So, for example, you could imagine uh, a piece of software installed on your computer, uh, which would uh, fetch. Google.com, so it'd visit Google.com automatically by itself once an hour and time how long it took a page to load. That's an example of an active measurement. Active measurements can be deployed in basically one of two ways. You can either have crowdsourced measurements or you can have dedicated probe-based measurements. So 2A is crowdsourced. So crowdsourced is very much along the lines of what you'd see from a very well-known speed test websites and applications, uh, where a user might visit the website, click run test now, uh, and they get the result back 10 seconds later, or they might install an app and press press the run test now button and, um, and they get the results. Maybe there's some scheduled element to it, but usually not. Usually it's just on-demand, user-driven measurements. Yeah. So there's um, pros and cons to this as well. You'll be unsurprised to hear. Mm-hmm. So pro, it's you know super accessible for the users. You know, it can be as simple as just visiting a site, pressing a button. Um, uh, another pro is because of its accessibility, you get millions of users using this, these things. Um, so you build up a really large data set, probably quite quickly. 
but there are cons as well. So the cons are, again, I think the biggest one is absolutely not a controlled environment. If, um, if I ask you to go and run a speed test on your laptop right now, um, you will pick your favorite speed test site. Uh, you'll probably access it from your laptop, which is connected over, over Wi-Fi, um, and you'll run it. Mm-hmm. If you then take your laptop and you go and connect it over Ethernet cable to your router, there's a good chance you're going to get quite a significantly different result. It's, yeah. it's not a controlled environment. There's, there's factors which the, the speed test website or app can't A, can't control, and B, can't know about, so can't even account for after the fact. For example, you know, what type of hardware? What type of machine are you running on? Is it a laptop, a desktop? Is it a phone? Because these all have different capabilities. What else is running on the machine at the same time? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what browser are you running? Different browsers have different uh, performance characteristics. Obviously, the big one is how is the machine connected? Is it over Ethernet or Wi-Fi? What generation Wi-Fi? How, how noisy is it? What's your signal strength? All of these factors have a huge impact on the, um, uh, the measurement you run right now. Then, of course, beyond this, there's the sampling aspects or the sampling cons that come with uh, crowdsource measurements. So if it's if it's all on-demand user measurements, so a user presses a button to run a test, then what happens at 4 o'clock in the morning when, you're, um, when your computer's switched off and you're in bed? You don't get any tests at that point. So, uh, yeah, there's, it's not really a, a repeatable data set for a mm-hmm. number of reasons. Okay, I'm going to wrap this up. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> and then item 2B is... Basically, um, scheduled probe-based measurements, which is where we started, uh, and it's still pretty similar to what we do today. We didn't want to go anywhere near passive measurements. Uh, we thought crowdsource measurements had a number of uh, limitations. So, what we wanted to do was have something which was which is much more robust and more predictable. You have something deployed inside the user's home, uh, which is homogenous, so it's the same thing everywhere. It's connected in the same way. It's powered on all the time, and it's running tests uh, according to a predefined test schedule. So what that means is you don't, you aren't having to deal with different devices, different capabilities. You don't have to worry about the software that's running on um, the device because it's the same everywhere. The device is connected in the same way. Um, you know, via Ethernet cable, which doesn't have any of the uh, the limitations of Wi-Fi networks, particularly back at the time, which was very, very early days in 2008, relatively mm-hmm. speaking. Um, and we're also able to deal with other factors there as well. Uh, oh, sorry, and the last thing I mentioned there is um, uh, because it's on, it's powered on all the time, we can run scheduled measurements, which is r- measurements ran 20 or could run 24 by 7. So we could run tests, active tests, even at 4 o'clock in the morning when you're fast asleep. Mm-hmm. And then the last perk of being on a device which is at the edge of the user's network inside the home is uh, that you can see whether other devices inside the home are trying to use the internet at the same time. Um, and if so, then don't run the tests. Um, and we call this cross-traffic detection because you know, we don't want our measurements to be influenced by other traffic from the outside. And equally, we don't want to disrupt other users' uh, enjoyment of the internet. So um, all of this led to the conclusion that the most scientifically robust way for us to uh, have a good measurement methodology was to have scheduled tests running on a hardware device connected via Ethernet inside the user's home, running tests 24 by 7 and taking into account cross-traffic. So that led us to build the first white box. I think in the interest of fairness, I should definitely acknowledge the cons, but the, the big cons are uh, deployment. It's a, it's a hassle now, right? We have to send out a hardware device to users' homes. The user has to receive it uh, from the postman, plug it in. Uh, it's itself installed, so it's not painful, but um, 
uh, but for non-technical users, it's, it's um, it certainly raises some eyebrows. So they have mm-hmm. to plug it in, and that's you know it adds time. It's not a it's not an instant deployment. It can take we have to uh, post something to someone, um, and uh, when you're doing this kind of stuff, you can't scale to millions and millions of devices, you're probably going to be talking in thousands or tens of thousands um, at most. So Sam, it's not only the, the, the means you test, but the actual way you test applications differs as well. Can you explain a bit about that? Yes, good point, actually. From when we started until about 2015-ish, our uh, our focus was very much on quality of service measurement. So this would be things like uh, basically what you would imagine when you think about broadband tests. So download speed, upload speed, latency, packet loss, and you'd throw in some jitter measurements and DNS tests and uh, a few other things as well. But it was still the idea was still very much testing the quality of the ISP's connection um, and controlling both ends of the tests. So testing from a hardware device or a browser to a dedicated test server at the other end, mm-hmm. and that's great. Um, and that's basically what most other broadband measurement or internet measurement companies do as well. But of course, I, I can't imagine uh, any of us are buying our broadband connections purely just to run speed tests. Um, uh, we generally buy our broadband connections in order to stream stuff on Netflix or buy stuff on Amazon or uh, you know, do podcasts with you, Barry. Uh, <laughs> so there's lots of different things that we might use our internet connections for, right? Just running speed tests alone is is not really representative of anything other than the running a speed test. Don't get me wrong. You need the, the speed testing and the quality of server tests are important because they kind of set a baseline. Um, but uh, your performance to to real applications uh, might be quite significantly different, and it might not be your ISP's fault. It might be a decision, the decision of uh, Netflix and where they choose to host their infrastructure, or um, or Fortnite and where they, um, uh, yeah, where, how they configure their servers and where they're located and so on. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, the user cares about it. So regardless of whose fault it is, the user definitely cares about how. Um, how these applications are performing. And because the user cares about it, obviously they're going to, um, A, they're going to call the ISP if it's not satisfactory. Um, that means the IS- it's now the ISP's problem. They have to care about it. And B, our other cu- type of customer, the regulators, they certainly care about how applications are, um, are performing. Um, so yeah, back in 2015, we started looking at uh, measuring specific applications. And this isn't taking our existing tests like our speed tests and then you know applying some sort of mathematical model to them and saying, oh, you know, because we can stream at two megabits per second, then we can watch a YouTube SD video uh, and doing all that hand wavy stuff. We're not doing that. Uh, we're actually streaming real content. And the crucial thing is we're streaming or we're, we're exchanging real application traffic with the real application servers um, in order to um, carry out these measurements. So for example, with YouTube, we're actually streaming real YouTube videos from the real YouTube servers, which might be deployed inside your ISP's network. In fact, that's very common mm-hmm. um, uh, in order to infer YouTube performance. Um, and as far as I know, not really any other uh, internet measurement company has such a focus on application testing like we do. Uh, they tend to focus more on the QoS uh, metrics, and some others will use the model-based approach to infer application performance based mm-hmm. on um, the QoS test results rather than doing real application testing uh, to the real application servers. So 
Yeah, I think we're uh, we're relatively unique in that. I'm sure others will be will will, will catch up, but um, yeah, I think that's quite an important part of our arsenal as well. You mentioned earlier that you started out by supplying white boxes to testers, but you've since moved to putting software agents inside the broadband routers themselves. What difference has that made to the speed test data you can gather? Okay, so there's a few different um, parts there. If you recall, when I uh, was talking about the uh, the scheduled probe-based tests and you know, i.e. the white boxes earlier on, I mentioned some of the limitations of that around the uh, the scale and the time to deploy it and so on. Deploying our software agents inside the routers, uh, I won't say it's a silver bullet, but it's really, really close to a silver bullet because it overcomes all of those limitations uh, that we have with the um, with the bite box. So purely from a, I'll talk about the the measurement methodology in a minute, but from a logistical point of view. Um, it's it's great for us and it's great for the for the ISP customer um, because they can uh, they can deploy a software update to their to their routers so no device is posted out um, mm-hmm. anymore uh, the user doesn't have to do anything they don't have to plug any device in it's just an over the air software update um, they can deploy this to millions of devices overnight and uh, it has all of the same same measurement methodology and functionality as the um, as the white box um, and yeah I guess uh, so really it it solves the logistical problems with deployment it solves the scale problems uh, and it solves the, uh, the the time to uh, time to deploy so it's been a really big win for us with the, the ISPs I will add of course there are downsides to this as well right but you need because you need to write software Software, uh, in such a way that it can be deployed inside all of these routers. Mm-hmm. And if you think to the mobile phone market, people often say that Android is quite a is quite a fragmented um, ecosystem on the mobile side. Just wait until you see uh, the the router <laughs> environment. Uh, that makes um, that makes Android look like a, a super tidy place. So um, uh, building software for routers can be can be very very painful and the first times we did it back in 2017-ish or sorry 2015 or 16 it was quite um, a painful process um, but nowadays we're uh, we've got a really good team and we're able to um, turn these out really quickly in many cases uh, one of our generic ones will um, all suffice um, and we've worked with dozens of different cp manufacturers now so uh, yeah it's really really picking up steam you touched on it there sam but the, the hardware inside routers is is relatively limited how do you ensure your measurements are are accurate yeah good question i guess it's worth touching a little bit on some of the internals of routers at this point routers have a processor in them just like uh, just like your computer or your phone uh, phone does right now Mm -hmm. so uh, there'll be the processor there'll be a network switch um there will be a um, typically a Linux-based operating system running inside it, and there'll be um, a Wi-Fi interface or Wi-Fi radio or two handling 2.4 gigahertz and 5 gigahertz Wi-Fi and so on. Now, normally, what happens when... So if you forget about measurements for a second, just forget we exist. Um, normally, when you are a user and you're using... You're, you're connected to your Wi-Fi router and you're, let's say, downloading something from the internet, uh, or you're, you're, you're accessing the internet through your Wi-Fi router, um, the um, uh, the main processor inside the router um, uh, does not see your traffic. That means your processor is not handling... The processor inside your router is not handling the routing of traffic mm-hmm. um, normally there is a separate coprocessor uh, something called a uh, usually called a fast path which handles um, 
things like NAT, uh, network address translation, uh, and and routing. So routing, firewalling, uh, network address translation is usually handled by a coprocessor inside the um, inside the router, and that's how you know, relatively low cost routers can still route traffic at high speeds, like one gigabit per second, because they do it all in hardware. It's a little bit like network switches. They do all the switching in hardware rather than software. Mm-hmm. Um, when people say, yeah, so when people say, are you doing it in software or are you doing it in hardware? Uh, what they really mean is when they say, are you doing it in software? They mean, are you running code on the main processor to handle this stuff? Or are you delegating responsibility to some external co-processor, which is doing all the, all the heavy lifting? Uh, our agent, our router agent, as we call it, runs on the uh, the main processor inside the router uh, for a number of reasons. But yeah, it runs on the main processor inside the router. This is the same for, for for everyone who does this kind of stuff. But of course, that means we can be we can be limited by the power of this main processor. Oftentimes, this main processor is not actually powerful enough on a very very high speed connections uh, to actually route traffic at the at the connected line speed so if you if you imagine coming back to my example earlier if you imagine your router at home didn't have this dedicated coprocessor for uh, for fast path routing of network traffic then and everything had to go through the main processor you probably find you couldn't get more than four or five hundred megabits per second on lots of fairly common routers mm-hmm. uh, and obviously that's no good because isps are selling one gig connections now and faster sometimes so uh, on on those kinds of routers which thankfully aren't super common these these relatively low power low processor power routers what we do is we uh we have pretty good relationships with the um with the chipset vendors so the people who actually manufacture these processors and um there's very few of these. Uh, really, the big the big players in the industry are Broadcom and Qualcomm and MediaTek. Intel kind of used to do it, but they've um, they've they've kind of mostly pulled out now. And there's a few other few other smaller ones as well. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, Broadcom, Qualcomm, MediaTek are the are the big ones by far. Um, and what those companies have is uh, a way for third parties to run software on their dedicated coprocessors. And effectively, we, we call this uh, hard, running hardware accelerated measurements. So we're making use of the dedicated separate hardware accelerators. So um, we can run our very network intensive measurements. And remember, lots of our measurements aren't super network intensive. So things like you know, measuring Google Meet or Fortnite, for example, don't really require much bandwidth. So there's no need to use these code processors. But uh, for speed tests, for example, on lines faster than one gigabit per second, often we do have to use these, these hardware accelerators or the code processors. And uh, that requires basically quite a lot of, well, two things. One, it requires pretty good relationships with the, uh, with the chipset vendors for them to actually give you access to this stuff and to spend time with you and so on. Uh, and the other is it requires a quite a good development team because these things are not easy to work with um yeah but using the, using these things we can get uh you know we can do things like you know, measure 10 gigabits per second on relatively low-end commodity hardware um and uh yeah get very very reliable and accurate results and you're not only working with the ball band providers now but with third-party boost manufacturers so explain what benefits that brings to the the manufacturers and consumers Sure. So, so for context, historically, when we've been talking about uh, deploying our router agent, uh, mostly it's been in conjunction with operators or ISPs. Um, so, 
uh, and they'd be doing this for their own purposes, like uh, for customer support or for um, uh, network engineering and um, you know, uh, looking at the, the macro performance level across the entire network. But as you say, more recently, I'd say over the past year or so, uh, we've been doing a lot more work with the retail uh, router manufacturers. Um, you know, imagine you pop down to PC World or Best Buy and you go to buy a router off the shelf. Those router manufacturers um, are very different people to the ones who build custom routers for the likes of you know, BT and Sky and Virgin and Comcast and Charter and so on. Um, so they're very different companies with very different business models. Mm-hmm. Um, well, what, what benefits does this bring to the manufacturers and consumers? So from the manufacturers side of things, they get basically all of the the benefits of our uh, the engineering that we've put into our measurements over the past what 15 years or so so it's not just speed testing we also have all of the quality of experience measurements we do the cross traffic checks uh it's good for um uh the regulatory measurements as well so meeting ofcom style requirements or the connect america fund or ardoff requirements in the us um you know all of our all of our benefits are basically instantly available to the um to the uh, to the manufacturers, mm-hmm. um, and they get the benefit of our relationships with uh, with the chips vendors as well. So we can make use of the uh, the hardware accelerated measurements um, in order to measure the very very highest speeds, and then ultimately. These retail router manufacturers, they typically have some web interface on the routers or they have a a companion mobile app and our measurements are used to power what that app shows to the consumer. So the consumer ultimately benefits from these measurements as well. Now, at the moment, we're really kind of just scratching the surface there. Uh, Lots of the, uh, the the retail equipment manufacturers haven't yet, I'd say, widely, um, um, exposed all of the measurements we're running to consumers but that's definitely something which is the trend is in that direction um they're still uh, historically they've been quite focused on speed of course as well so mm-hmm. uh, their main motivation has been on things like the hardware accelerated tests and so on but um there, there's definitely an interest from every, well, as we talked about in previous podcasts, there's definitely an interest in the industry on looking at beyond speed and uh, more cross uh, actual real application performance. And that's one we're very well placed to help with. And finally, Sam, how is all that data you collect from the white boxes and the software agents stored? Um, well, we, we we delegate that problem to our friends at Google, uh, <laughs> where we use uh, Google Cloud Platform. They're much better at running uh, running infrastructure and handling very large volumes of data than uh, than we are. So yeah, we do what everyone else does. We we make use of um, uh, one of the hyperscalers these days. So in particular, we use uh, well, there's lots of stuff in the platform, uh, but Kafka for event streaming. So as measurement data comes in, it's uh, it's uh, it's sent to to Kafka topics and. We process it asynchronously, uh, and ultimately, uh, all of the measurement data is stored in Google BigQuery, which is a huge column-based database, which is really good for analyzing um, uh, very large volumes of data. Um, embarrassingly, I don't know the current volume of uh, collection per day. It's well into the billions of measurements per day, though, um, and tens and tens of billions per month. So, um, and yeah, we'd, we'd struggle to do that on something other than than, than Google's platform, especially, it, well, we might be able to do it right now, uh, building our own infrastructure, but the way the, the, the trend and the growth is heading, uh, particularly from the, from embedding our software inside routers, it's, it could be, it could be 10 times as large in a year's time or two 
two years' time. Mm-hmm. So, um, oh, yeah, we just don't want the hassle. It's not really our bread and butter. Our bread and butter is the um, the measurements and and doing what we do well uh, with everything around the measurements and the plumbing around it. It's not really running very large infrastructure, which hyperscale is a very well placed to do. That's it for this episode of the Sam Knows Podcast. If you want to read the article that accompanies this podcast, be sure to visit samnose.com forward slash spotlight. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>